For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I'm really happy to chat with The Washington Post's Philip Bump. If you don't know Philip's work at The Post, you really should because it's a great combination of politics and the economy and, of course, data visualization. And recently, Philip started a new newsletter called How to Read This Chart, which I thought when I first signed up for it would be about his work at The Post and maybe some of the more deep dives into some of his columns and maybe some things that didn't make it to The Post site but are sort of on a cutting room floor. But it's really a deep dive into data visualization. And it's not necessarily about tools and how to go from step A to step B and build something, but it's really about his process and how he thinks about creating a visualization that can work and and communicate the stories that he's trying to tell, which again is primarily about politics and the economy and other breaking news. So I think it's a really interesting conversation. I was really fascinated to hear about how he thought about building this newsletter and how he thinks about making arguments and telling stories uh, in his columns and in the newsletter as well. So I am going to pass it off to that interview with Philip Bump, and I hope you'll enjoy this week's podcast. Hey, Philip, good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. How are things? Good. How are you? Good. I mean, you know, it looks like we're heading into spring here. Uh, long last, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does feel like it wasn't a bad winter. It just feels like it's been going on forever. Yeah, I mean, every winter is inherently bad. But <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I love snow. I, don't get me wrong. I'm from the snowbound from Rochester, New York. So, so oh, OK, was, so I'm know. from Buffalo. So I didn't even know oh, that. Nice. That, oh, nice. man. Western New Yorkers. Okay. Western New York connection. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to love, you know, the, you get to about October and you're like, I wish it would snow. And then right. by February, you're like, OK, the hell with this. Let's, you know, let's move on. And then for us, we still have another like four months course, to deal with. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> then you get those glorious month and a half. And then, you know, that's and then when you're you back right back to it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think there was a few years ago where where we had enough snow where we could build the igloos at the end of the driveway which my kids aren't familiar with but that's like how i grew up like you just have this thing for months that you could just keep building on and right snow forts yeah yeah that's just that's just the way it is yeah that's a good start um the western new york connection so thanks for coming on the show i want to chat about a variety of things you've got going on um i want to start with your basic day job because it seems like kind of the perfect job for someone who's into politics and the economy and data visualization. And we'll come right. to the, the newsletter in a little bit. But sure. um, like, is this where you always wanted to be? No, it's interesting. I So my dad is a sports writer. And so I grew up both going to a lot of games, Rochester Red Wings, mm-hmm. um, Buffalo Bisons on the occasion Bison. as well right. back in the day. Um, so uh, I, he was a journalist, but I never sort of foresaw myself going into journalism. I came to it actually to, to a large extent through technology. I, uh, when I was in college, uh, I was in college in the early nineties, right at the advent of the web. Um, I taught myself HTML. I made websites. I taught myself Perl. I learned how to, you know, do dynamic websites. Mm. And then I discovered that it would be fun to, you know, have my own blog. And so I made my own blog and, you know, so it was me sort of riffing on what was happening in the news, but then also, 
um, I was, I worked for a while as a designer at Adobe. And so I also knew how to do design stuff. And so there's a lot of sort of like the, the data side, the math side manifested in the design work to a large extent and in what I was sort of interested in and being able to take things that were in the news and see them, which is just sort of how I see things yeah. often just through this lens of data. Um, and so then I was, you know, it took a while. It wasn't until I was in my thirties that, um, I ended up working in media specifically because I found myself, I was just writing for websites. Like I wrote mm -hmm. for, you know, media all the time. And it was just sort of like, you know, on the side from right. my, you know, my regular job. And then yeah. I was like, you know, why don't I just do this? And so that's what I started to do. <laughs> well, so you didn't go through journalism school as to be a journalist. No. Gotcha. And I so did not know I was a philosophy major. <laughs> well, that's course, turned out, that's right? turned out sure. pretty well, right? So, <laughs> you know. So things have obviously changed and moved around with with the post, and you know there was there was Wonk Blog for a while was sort of like the kickoff to this more data. I don't want to call it data driven because that's not really fair, but like more in the weeds data, I guess, than uh, traditionally. But you write so much about politics, so much. I want to ask, like, how do you keep your sanity, like especially today? And I'm sure, sure. the amount of hate mail that you get is. Um, nothing that I want to want to look at, but like, so how do right. you keep your standing? How do you maintain your, um, I don't know, like your, your confidence or your, you know, how do you not have panic attacks every day? Basically. Um, it's an interesting question. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a very honest answer, which is that it's, you know, there's a lot of stress. It's very stressful, uh, for everybody. It's been a stressful, yeah. you know, six years, uh, seven years. I have two kids that were born in that meantime. So, you know, yeah. layer on top, dealing with toddlers. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that no matter what you write, there are going to be some people who are very angry about it. Mm -hmm. um, and how do I deal with it? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just inured to it by now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it can be a drag. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I will, I'll say this, you know, if you, if you read something that you think is good from someone, take a moment and send them a note if you can, because mm -hmm. it's useful because usually the only people who are motivated to write are the people who are furious. Right. Uh, so, you know, if you can do that, that's nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, there's no, you know, look, I'm not going to pretend that life is harder for me than it is for a lot of Americans. Yeah. You know, I have a job. I maintain a job through the pandemic. I, you know, I was able to work from home. Like I have a lot of advantages. A lot of people don't have, um, and so, you know, it's difficult for everyone. And I think everyone would like to get back to a time of normalcy yeah. and stability and, you know, uninteresting times as, as the adage has it. Right. And do you feel as, I mean, I'm sure you get a lot of the hate mail is sort of like off the deep end, but do you feel because your stuff is so heavily data driven mm -hmm. and, a, and a lot of it, at least my reading of it is it's very much like, here's the data, here are the facts. Do you feel like when you get that mail that you're just like, I'm just presenting the facts here and- if you hate that, then fine. But like, do you ever feel like, well, show me your facts that make the argument as opposed to, I just hate you because I just hate you. Right. No, I mean, I, it depends on what I'm dealing with. I mean, obviously there are ways to present data that influence perceptions, right? Mm. Like that's, that's yeah. obviously the case. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend that every single time I drop a number to an article, I am doing so, you know, expecting it to be treated as entirely objective and not in support of an argument, right? That's how, that's how it works. Yeah. The, the, the way in which what you just described manifests most frequently is on the voter fraud stuff, 
which yeah. I write about a lot because it yeah. really is a data story. It is about, you know, evidentiary processes and it's about, you know, uh, trying to, you know, there's this, this huge group of people that's trying to use statistics to prove fraud occur. They don't ever actually prove fraud. They just say, right. look at this weirdness in the numbers. Therefore, fraud must have happened, yeah. which is, you know, this disconnect that they usually don't recognize. But this is this is a black and white issue. Yeah. And so it is absolutely the case that there are times in which I will write something about how there has not been any rampant voter fraud in the 2020 election and get feedback that's just like, oh, yes, there is. You just ignore the evidence. And it's like, look, by now I am better versed in the evidence for voter fraud than probably 99% of Americans. Yeah. There's nothing that I have not seen right. and considered. And I really have, you know, look. If I could discover there's rampant voter fraud in the 2020 election, I would win a Pulitzer Prize. I'd right, right, yeah. Do that, yeah, right? yeah, right. You know, yeah. Um, but it's just not. There's yeah. just not there, and so it's very. That's very frustrating to be yeah. like, look, this is objectively not true. I can show you how it is not true and how you're being misled, and have people be like, you're a liar and you're fake news. Right. Yeah. So, so when you're doing. Uh, voter, you know, voter fraud is a good example. So you've you've probably been like neck deep in the data because there's a lot of data that you can parse from from right, right. all the election places around the world or around yeah. the, around the country. Are you? What makes you happiest in the process of doing your work? Is it being deep in the data? Is it writing the article? Is it making the graph? Like, which part do you like really get excited about? I mean, I think it depends on what I'm writing about. I mean, I enjoy yeah. making a nice, complicated graph. Uh, you know, yeah. probably too complicated at times, <laughs> absolutely, admittedly. Um, but you know that sometimes I also just like I like to debunk hucksters, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, like yeah, this guy Douglas Frank, who's this math teacher from Ohio, who puts together all this total nonsense. I don't know what words I'm allowed to say in this podcast. Total nonsense uh, about voter fraud, and it's fun to pick that apart and be like, yeah. look, this is stupid, and here's why it's stupid. Yeah. And, you know, without being like, you're stupid for believing it, but, you know, this is, there's no reason to take this at face value and here's why. Right. Like that sort of thing is fun because it's, you know, I mean, I mentioned that I'd been a philosophy major and the value of that is in being able to, you know, walk through an argument and, you know, assess things logically. Like that's the side of philosophy that always really appealed to me. And, you know, I feel like that's something that I'm fairly adept at, particularly in regards to these nonsensical claims. Yeah. So in addition to your column uh, at the Post, you recently started a new newsletter uh, called How to Read This Chart. And um, right. I've really been enjoying it. And what was kind of nice. surprising to me when you launched it is that it really is like a data viz in the weeds type of mm -hmm. newsletter. It's not like, you know, the post that you wrote on the cutting room floor. It's like a really like, here's how I made this chart or here's the varieties of that chart. Can you talk a little bit of how you decided to go that route rather than, you know, you know any of the millions of other ways you could have gone? Sure. So one of the things that I have learned over the course of my career and experience on the internet, which is longer than it might, you know, I, I tend to be, people tend to think I'm younger than I actually am, but I've been around a long time. And one of the things I've learned is that there's always, an, if there's something I think is interesting, there's an audience for it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the example I love to use is furries, right? There's this group of people that like to dress like animals and they probably thought they were weirdo outcasts. And then all of a sudden they get online, they discover there are all these other people that they can have a convention every six months. There's, <laughs> right, like, right. there's there is, if you are into something, there's going to be an audience for that. And so the thing that I'm into is just looking at data visualizations and presenting them and figuring out how they work and why they're interesting when they don't work. And, you know, when people try and mislead through numbers. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm in the weeds in the sense that I'm like, you know, 
open up R or, you know, enter this code, you yeah, know, yeah, I'm right. not quite there. Right. Um, but still, but it, it's like, a, it's often not necessarily a step-by-step in like how you built it, but it's a step-by-step sure. in how you sort of thought through it. Yeah, no, right, right. Yeah. Because, because part of the goal here is to have people be more confident in figuring out how it is they want to actually present data, right? So I don't want it to just be, you know, here's a cool chart from the Financial Times that you can never, ever replicate, but right. rather it's like, here's why this works. And even if I don't say, you know, this is precisely how you can make this chart, although I have at times offered tools mm-hmm. to a lot, including a nice tool that you'd made uh, that allow you to sort of replicate some of this stuff. Um, I do think it's valuable nonetheless to say, here is a different way of thinking about how you can present this data. And, the, you know, the, the thing that I go back to, and, you know, every single newsletter, someone's like, oh, you should read Edward Tuff, which I have. And I've been to one of his seminars yeah. and I actually put that one of the newsletters like, hey, everyone, I've been to, I've seen him. I've, I, I'm familiar with him. <laughs> right. And then, of course, people didn't read that one or they signed up later. And like, oh, you should read Anyway, <laughs> the thing that he did at his seminar, which was really, really eye opening for me. Uh, it's smart in a way that you might expect. And yeah. if, if for, I assume everyone who's listening to this knows who he is. <laughs> yeah, I'm anyway. sure everybody. Yeah, and everybody and everybody listening to this simultaneously has gone to his seminars and and yeah, also right, hates okay, it. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah. so anyway. Um, the thing that I thought was really smart about it is he starts out in the morning and he goes through all this really fascinating stuff, the stuff with the O-rings and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And it's really a great like assessment of it. And then, well, at least when I was there, which is, you know, probably 20 years ago in San Jose, I, you come back, you go to lunch and you come back. And then it's just like all about how to do nice charts for PowerPoint. And yeah. at the time I was like, well, that's so hokey. And then, but then I'm like, oh, but of course, all these businesses are going to pay their people to go and take this, yeah, right? right? And right. so they get this, but it's also valuable, right? It's valuable to people to be like, oh, okay, that's cool how he did that thing in PowerPoint. And right. like, so I want to sort of both inculcate an appreciation for data visualization uh, by by making it so it's not intimidating, but at the same time also offer something of use so that people actually can take away something uh, that they can actually apply in their real lives. Right. Do you try to watch the data viz field in terms of like, you know, just the general conversations that are happening on Twitter? Or are you just kind of like more on the on the media side, the conversations on data viz, maybe on the on the media side of things? Yeah, no, just on the media side. I mean, I'll yeah. come across stuff usually. In, I mean, and people are I absolutely encourage people to send me either good or bad data visualizations for the newsletter um, just because it's useful. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, I come across interesting stuff every week and I'm like, OK, this is what I want to focus on. So right. that's that's what I look at. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, you know, it is in part because I came to graphic design data visualization as being self-taught. I sort of, I don't, I've never been sort of part of communities in that way, mm-hmm. right? Which is probably short-sighted, but I think that's probably the rationalization for it. Well, I mean, you know, I've had, what, more than 200 episodes of this podcast, and I don't <laughs> think I've had two people come to the data viz field from the same spot, right? I mean, you know, you're from philosophy. I've had, you know, astronomers on the show. I've, you know, had all sorts of different people. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting and it's interesting how people think about their process of working their way through, you know, through the process of visualization. I'm curious when you saw Tufty 20 years ago, did he have the white gloves with the Galileo book or was, did he get that book later? Oh God, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't is that how you say it? I always thought it was Tufty. I never. I think it's. I, it I think I've always said Tufty, but you know, uh-huh. I'm sure he would be happy to tell us. What right, the right he'd, he'd give us a little chart about why the pronunciations <laughs> in various right, times right. of year. And stuff. Um, so I know you don't talk about this in the newsletter, or at least haven't mm. yet. Although I feel like I saw maybe a tweet from you the other day about the tool set that you use. Mm. Um, and and so maybe you could talk about. I know you started Adobe, so I'm guessing right, right. you're deep into the Adobe suite. But um, right. are you like a coder on top of that? Are you an Excel guy on top of that? And then how does that intersect or not with what's going on on the graphics desk at sure. the post? 
Uh, great question. So it is a little embarrassing because I'm like, you know, it's all like ad hoc and bespoke, really. You know, I mean, I said I taught myself Perl. I use, I still use Perl a lot to like parse data because I'm just familiar with it. I can right, do it really yeah, quick, sure. right? Yep. Who the hell? I mean, no one uses Perl. Uh, I do most of my charts in Illustrator because, you know, I know how to use Illustrator really well and it's yep. good. And, you know, I do, uh, you know, visualizations. I do coding. I'm actually working on something right now. Uh, that is, uh, you know, just basic JavaScript display using Canvas and HTML and so on and so forth. You know, I mean, so it's just like, it's tool, it literally is just tools. I've, over the course of my career, I've just been like, oh, that's cool. How do I do that? And then I taught it to myself. Right. And so there are massive holes that I don't, you know, I'm sure I could be much more efficient if I use certain things. Yeah. But, you know, again, I'm old and so I can sort of set my ways, and but I can do stuff fast. And so, so yeah. that, those are the tools I use. There is this thing that I pitched actually in the newsletter last week called rawgrass.io, mm -hmm. uh, which takes data data sets and churns out really quick um, different sorts of visualizations uh, in different styles that they can export as an SVG and then bring into Illustrator as well. So I do that. I use that a lot as well. That's a okay. tool I really recommend too. And is that for them? Do you use raw graphs for more of those? I mean, a lot of raw graphs is more of those bespoke sort of off the, you know, off the standard thing. They've got the you know, yeah, snackies right. and the luvials. Mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. are you using, are you using the charting engine in Illustrator and do you hate it as much as everybody else? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. No, I do. Yes. Um, you know, what I use raw graphs for is if I want to do like a scaled scatter plot, because yeah. it's super easy to do that in raw graphs and you can't do it in Illustrator very right. easily. Um, you know, I just, you know how when you, it's like having an old crappy car and yeah. you know how to make it run really fast yeah. and you know how to maintain it, you know what to do and what not to do. That's how Illustrator is for making graphs. And I've just, I've had this crappy car a long time. And right. So, you right. Know, I just, I know how to make it work. Yeah. No, I hear you. I've been trying yeah. to do some Tableau learning this year and it's like mm. all these little things where I'm like, this makes no sense. Right. And then I'll talk to someone who's, you know, great at Tableau. They're like, well, it's an obvious fix, but like you, you, you know, if you've never driven that car before, yeah, yeah. you're like, where's the turn signal? But um, there's also, this also goes back to your other question about the graphics desk. I actually don't work with the graphics desk at the post, which is I, absolutely at times been a frustration to them. And if any of them are watching, I apologize for having been a frustration. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is, we're, we're talking about a very specific product here. And so I mm -hmm. tend to do mostly just static images because, you know, A, that's obviously the post heritage, right? <laughs> right? right. Um, but it's just, it's easier, you know, I, yeah. I don't have to get in and, you know, I don't have to figure out, you know, I don't have to figure out scaling based on devices and all that nonsense. Right. And is, uh, and so are the, are the various parts then of the post broad enough where they're not so that I'm assuming is where the graphics sets would be maybe concerned about the branding and the look that everything's sort of consistent just because there's so many different verticals? Yeah, no, they are. I mean, one of the things that I hope happens over the long term is that we have more people who are able to do basic coding and, you know, basic uh, graphing. I mean, we have a chartable tool that's internal and, you know, churn, right. you know pops things out in the, the proper aesthetic. I use a template that the graphics team made, so I'm make sure I'm using the right typefaces and colors and so on and so forth. Gotcha. You know, I tend, you know, uh, it tends to still sort of be aberrant just by the nature of what I'm making, yeah. uh, which again, I'm sure is frustrating to them. But, uh, you know, so it's I, it's not the total Wild West, but it's sort of like there's now this one town that's connected by one one small railroad. Right. And that's my that's right. my depot. And I and I and I get to sit on it. <laughs> right. Um, so um, you've got the the desk um, that's doing a lot of the custom interactive stuff, but you had mentioned mm -hmm. earlier that you are a little more fascinated with the more complex graphs. So okay. is that what, 
gets you excited as like a cool, you know, whatever custom connected scatter plot or Sankey diagram or something. And then uh, when you are building those, are you thinking about how to educate your reader and how to read that? Not just like, here's the graph sort of like, you can go figure it out. I try to. Yeah. I'm, I'm imperfect at it. And part of the challenge is obviously that my day job is about responding to the news. And so I don't have, you know, I'm not usually plotting things out. You know, in the morning, I'm like, hey, I should do this. And then by the afternoon, I've done it. And so it's, you know, I, I will often not spend as much time as I ought on some more complicated things, in part out of confidence to the reader and in part out of the oversight on my part. Part of the goal of how to read this chart, honestly, was to get people who read my stuff a lot to feel more familiar with the sorts of things that I do. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I am not as good at it as I should be, but also, you know, all of us have blind spots, right? I, something that's intuitive to me is not necessarily intuitive to others. And I may not be able to predict what is not intuitive to others. Uh, and so I will get feedback, um, about graphs and then I will, you know, later go back and update posts and, you know, add things and be like, oh, you know, here's how you read this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, just to make it more clear. Um, in terms of what really interests me, the things that really interest me are when data really locks into place, even if it's a simple graph. And so yeah. there, there are two examples for it. One is that I endeavored a couple of years ago to try and figure out how presidential vote results related to the number of uh, licensed gun dealers in a zip code or county, I forget which. And I did this plot that was, you know, adjusted for population. And it was just this absolutely perfect, just yeah. perfect correlation line, which, I, you know, was just really sort of rewarding yeah. um, in, you know, what it revealed. There's another time when someone had mentioned on Twitter that, that there had been, uh, they were seeing that there were increases in the number of searches for loss of smell and loss of taste that were preceded bumps in COVID cases and mm-hmm. places. And so I did a per capita analysis by state and then a, you know, Google trends value for, for those searches. And it was, I mean, it wasn't just that they overlapped. It was that they overlapped. The, the per capita value was literally the same in those states mm-hmm. as the scale from zero to 100 search values for yeah. Google, which I think was just a weird artifact of the data. But it was just they overlapped literally exactly. Yeah. And it was just sort of a fascinating, I don't know if it still holds and I've been keep meaning to go back and look at it. Right. Uh, but it was just, you know, those sorts of things where things just overlap and fit exactly when you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. Yeah. Those are the sorts of things that I find kind of thrilling. And do, do you, to, to this point you just made about going back, do you think about going back to things? And like, oh, yeah, you know, we've sure. had all these conversations about, you know, va- COVID vaccinations or COVID infections and the vote share. Do you go back and oh yeah, do you just look out of a sense of cu- personal curiosity or do you end up, if it makes an interesting story, you're like, well, that now I can just write about it. Well, there's, there's a couple things at play. The first is that I've been at the post since 2014. And so there are, you know, and I write about politics. So this stuff is naturally cyclical. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll look at, you know, how does presidential approval relate to midterms? You know, right. what does, what's the effect of the state of the union on presidential approval ratings? So there are certain things that you can go back to over and over again because they have new, new data. Your, your point about COVID and partisanship, I've written about, God, I probably write about it bi-weekly at this yeah. point just because it is, you know, I keep expecting the trend to break, but instead the trend keeps exacerbating, right? Yeah. And, you know, part of this is related to the, decreased interest in vaccination among Republicans and so on and so forth. But I mean, that is something that I keep revisiting in part because 
you know, and honestly, in part because I keep getting challenged and being like, well, just, you know, yes, just water was bad last summer, but wait till the winter. No, so it happens in the Northeast. So we wait till the winter. And what happens? Right. Cases are still bad in red counties. Right? right. So, I mean, it's just, you know, so you want to keep revisiting that. And so now we're like, OK, so what happens if there's another wave that happens this summer? What does that look like? And where is that disproportionately affected? Yeah. Just this morning I wrote about, you know, the, the, this, the effects of vaccination and, and the positive benefits of them. I mean, it's yeah. just it's something that particularly because we're talking about something that has an obvious and immediate public health benefit, it's worth elevating when you can. Right. Philip, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, you've got the midterms coming up in a few months. Well, let me just ask one last question, I guess, then, because I, I was gonna bo- about to sign off, but then I was like, one last sure. question. So yes. we're in March. So we've got, I think, you know, at least three big things going on. We've got in the U.S., we've got the midterms coming up in November. We've obviously got the pandemic continuing. And we've got Ukraine uh, mm-hmm. and Russia. And I'm sure many other breaking news things will happen between now and then. But when you look forward to the next six months, do you see your time spent primarily on COVID and then the midterms? Or are you just sort of like, I'm just going to like whatever, like I'm just going to do what the news is and the interesting data stories that I can tell? Yeah, man. I don't know what I'm writing about on Friday. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like I remember going, I went to Indiana University in the fall of 2019. And I remember talking to them and they were all just curious, you know, what are you guys going to do for the 2020 election? I was like, okay, here's what our plan is. We're going to do X, Y, and Z and voter file stuff and yada, yada, yada. Right. And then March 2020 happens and it's just, you know, and then June 2020 happens. I mean, it's just like, yeah. there's just no way. And I've just given up on, am I going to write about the midterms? Yes, absolutely. Right. 100%. Is that what I anticipate writing about in November? Yeah, sure. October, November. Yeah, absolutely. Is that what I may end up writing about? You know, well, actually, I I have to write about the emergence of Godzilla from the Atlantic Ocean. Like, who the (laughs) So we'll see. But the way things are going, we might have to see that article. So, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you never know. (laughs) All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And glad to know uh, we've got a Western New York uh, connection. You got it. That's always good to have. All right. Thanks so much. Very good. Thanks, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you'll check out Philip's column at The Post, and you should also sign up for the newsletter. I'll put links to both in the show notes so you can check it out. If you'd like to support the show, I've got a number of new ways that you can interact with me and you can support the show financially. You can go over to my Patreon page where we now have just a single $5 tier. So for five bucks a month, you get a sneak peek at who the guests are coming up and you can even send me some questions. That's one way you can support the show. Another way you can support the show is through my paid newsletter where you can get some more behind the scenes work. You can even get on a Zoom call with me. I'll be setting these up every month uh, for paid subscribers. You can get on Zoom call with me and we can chat about whatever it is you want to chat about, primarily data visualization, uh, maybe some specific challenges you're having, maybe some ways that you're thinking about solving a data visualization, whatever it is, you can check that out. And the other way you can support the show is heading over to the Winnow app. The Winnow app is a new tool in which I am sending out two or three text messages per week with just a little clip of a visualization I think it did a good job in just one kind of tiny aspect. Maybe it's a good label, or it's a good color, or it's a good technique that I think I might use in my work. So check those three options out. Plus, if you want to just share the show with your friends, your family, your networks, please do so. Please subscribe to the show and check out all the great content coming to your way on the Policy Viz blog, YouTube channel, and elsewhere. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
a number of people help bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsuki Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 